Welcome to the Irish Life Podcast. Today we cover Coronavirus Markets and Fixed Income Update, the 30th of March. Presented by Michael Hayes, Investment Development Manager, and Niall O'Leary, Head of Fixed Income from Irish Life Investment Managers. Okay, hi and uh, good morning everybody. Welcome to our latest uh, coronavirus, coronavirus even markets update. Um, we're doing this webinar slightly differently to the past few. Uh, we're recording it uh, this morning uh, on the 30th of March around 9.30. Um, thanks to a lot of your feedback. We had some sound issues because of the way we have to do these webinars. Uh, from different locations and uh, different technology we're using than normal. So we've had some sound issues. So we decided to just record this and edit it to make sure the sound is as good as possible. Some people said they, they had issues with the sound. So that's why we're doing it slightly differently this morning. Um, so actually last week was it was a positive week uh, in all the gloom. So I think, uh, Niall, we were just saying beforehand that the S&P was up about uh, 10% for the week, uh, although it fell back on Friday again, markets. Uh, it's been an extremely volatile period. Actually, in the middle of March, we had an incredibly volatile time where we had markets. Uh, the S&P was down 9.5% one day, up 9.5% the next day, and then up 12, down 12% 12 uh, the following day. So it's been an incredibly um, volatile period in markets. So I might just uh, get Niall to bring us right up to date where we are. I think we've a chart with the movements right up until uh, last Friday. Thanks very much, Michael, and good morning, everybody. So you should be able to see on your screen now the market performance up to the end of March. And the the the, the bars on the left-hand side are the main equity indices. So rather than going through each line, I think what we can see quite clearly is that we are looking at a you know 20-ish 20, 20 percent and, and more down in markets here to date. So a pretty brutal start to the year. I think what we're going to focus a lot on today, though, is that in this world of negative equity returns, there are pockets of markets where where diversification works, investors benefits, and you can see that more to the right-hand side. So while equity markets in general are down around 20%, we can see that eurozone government bonds have been up by about one and a half percent in the over five-year space, and more or less flat in the one to five-year space. And then in more uh, risky fixed income markets, down minus 6% for investment grade bonds and minus 13 for emerging market debt denominated in, in, in the euro. So it's been a tough start to the year, a recovery of sorts last week, no doubt, but the benefits of diversification writ large by the bars on the right-hand side of, of this chart. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Niall. Um, if we just maybe look on to the next slide, I suppose what we have seen uh, has been an unprecedented global policy response and programs, huge programs being announced. Um, and in some cases, things that are quite different from programs that were announced during the financial crisis, things like the Federal Reserve buying corporate bonds. So the response from a market's point of view has been positive, hasn't it, Niall, to the huge response from, from central banks and governments? Yeah, it feels very different to me, Michael. What strikes me about the response this time is that the U.S. was quick out of the block in the GFC, Global Financial Crisis, in terms of the, the, the extent and the breadth of its response. But in this instance, it feels to me that the rest of the world isn't being left behind. So we've seen central banks cut rates globally towards zero, but we've also seen other packages introduced. You touched on the fact that the Federal Reserve has announced that it's going to be buying 
investment-grade corporate bonds. But we've also seen the ECB come out with a 750 billion bond buying program and put that to work already last week. And then we've seen fiscal response. A fiscal response, there's a couple of calls out there. The US uh, approved a 2.2 trillion spend. The Italian government has increased their spending to more than 25 billion. And Germany has announced a massive fiscal response. What's really notable about the response this time is that all talks of austerity and you know being sensible with how you spend money in these difficult times, those types of conversations are not being had. That type of rhetoric is not being used. And so there's a, there seems to be a global willingness to respond in a fiscal way that ensures that jobs are protected and businesses are protected. It hasn't been sufficient to stop markets from falling, but certainly we saw a more positive response from markets last week. We do expect markets to remain volatile as uncertainty around the extent of the economic impact remains to be remains but it's good to see a, a, a monetary and fiscal response without the conditions that were being attached to it at the time of the GFC. Okay, thanks Niall. And it's pretty fair to say as well as as things as you said there, as things continue to evolve, governments remain keen uh, and remain open to doing other things as well and, and, and more measures if 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 they feel that that is something that needs to be done. Absolutely, Michael. There's 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 I think this is kind of the first order of responses and to the extent that various economies have are more heavily impacted, I think there's a willingness to to, to do more. We've seen talks of coronavirus bond issuance by the Eurozone, and whereas in the past there would have been a sort of a delineation between the, the frugal, responsible nations, the Dutch, the Germans, the Austrians, the Finns, and the rest of Europe, there seems to be a greater willingness to have a, a response that is, is uh, in, in the best interests of the people, and, and not just this, this kind of tit-for-tat focus on on fiscal responsibility, I think I think we will see more response from the eurozone, and not just from individual governments, but from the eurozone itself. And I think it's 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 too soon to say how much more will be done by the various different governments to support the economy and to support the, the people of each country. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Niall. We might just look at the next slide. I think uh, we just have a we're going to have a look inside um, the maps portfolio. So we want to do it slightly differently. We we mostly focus on on equity markets uh, when we're looking at strategies uh, and the diversification in maps. But uh, we're going to look today at fixed income. Obviously, Niall is our head of fixed income, so. Uh, we often talk about fixed income being a great diversifier, and you mentioned that it's a start. But I suppose for us, within the context of, of how we manage the the funds within maps it's important for us to diversify you know at asset class level and then also at sub asset class level so um in bonds for example we have a number of different strategies uh within the maps portfolio so maybe just give us an idea of 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 some of those Niall. sure so on the slide in front of you at the moment what you'll see is across the top you'll see that there's five different risk rating versions of maps and the, the lower the number the lower the risk so when you look down through the different bond allocations, you'll see that MAPS 2 has 45% in bonds, whereas as we go up through 3, 4, 5, 6, the amount of bond assets fall. And what you're not seeing on the slide is by, by the offset to that, which is that equity, mark, equity exposure increases. So if we take something like MAPS 4, which is towards the middle of the range, you can see that there's about 
13 to 14% in bond assets in total. And that is made up of a range of corporate bonds, emerging market debt, and high yield. Whereas at the lower end of the range, you'll also see an allocation to government bonds. If I was to try and break that down further and say, well, which parts of this allocation are more risky and less risky? I'd say the first two are the least risky. Corporate bonds are investment-grade corporate bonds in this instance, and, and, and they have a very high correlation to government bonds. But that's not to say that they're not risky, but they are significantly less risky than the, the bottom two categories of emerging market debt and global high-yield bonds. What we focus on in Irish Life Investment Managers is diversification, not just within a portfolio, but within an asset class. And what you can see here is that there is considerable diversification across the fixed income space. And what we've seen is, you know, we've seen some negative returns for sure in emerging market debt and global high yield bonds, but we've seen investment grade bonds be more resilient. And we would expect that to remain to be the case. In fact, we're beginning to feel that with the move down that we've seen in markets, that investment-grade corporate bonds, the first line in this in this table, are now getting to a point where they're likely to be an attractive investment going forward. I'd also I would caveat that by saying we are now entering into a credit cycle. The coronavirus has brought upon us a credit cycle. We're seeing businesses struggle. You know, there's some headlines around some of the businesses that are most heavily affected. The consequence of that is that downgrades will happen and investment grade bonds may get downgraded to high yields. But when we think about corporate bonds and certainly higher quality corporate bonds, we're starting to see value come into, into that asset class following the, the repricing of risk that we've seen over the last month or so. Okay, thanks a million, Niall. Um, maybe we just move on to the next slide. And um, I suppose one of the things that we normally see is when you have these crises you see a, a flight to safety a flight to sort of haven assets and this would really be seen as a, as a haven asset german bonds but in the initial stages of this crisis we, we saw even bonds uh, selling off as well Niall. so maybe just just talk us through some of what's been happening there and how that's sort of reversed a little bit since sure so within the eurozone the, the least risky market is germany the lowest yielding and the, the safest place to to for investors to put their money so they are defined as the safe haven asset in the eurozone. And what you'll see if you look at the sort of more turquoisey coloured line, the 10-year bond, is that we, as the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic, I guess, starts to, to, to flow through markets, we saw yields move to record lows, but then suddenly they sold off again. Why did that happen and, and why are we not particularly concerned about that at this point? Well, the sell-off happened for I would argue for two or three reasons. The first is when it became obvious that the coronavirus is going to have such a negative impact on markets, it also became obvious that governments were going to have to respond by spending more money. And to spend more money, they have to fund themselves and therefore they have to issue lots more bonds. And that's one of the reasons why we saw yields increase towards the very right-hand side of this chart. That didn't just happen in Germany. It happened in pretty much every single bond market across the world. So yields increased because there's going to be more bonds issued. They also increased because when when the we were in that really volatile period that Michael referred to in his introduction, investors would have looked to sell the most liquid assets that they had, and German government bonds would be the most liquid bonds that most people would hold in the eurozone. 
The other thing that they were forced to do was to sell bonds, maybe because they had margin calls to, to fund other investments that they held. And again, selling German bonds would have been one of the reasons that they did that. However, we've seen that sell-off. We've now seen the stability return to markets. I do think that the you know we need to recognise the fact that with an abundance of supply coming from eurozone governments to fund their responses to the coronavirus pandemic, that's going to negatively impact markets. But there is an offset, and the offset is that the European Central Bank has committed to buying 750 billion or more of bonds in its pandemic program to support bond markets. So. We do feel that bonds will continue to provide diversification in portfolios, but maybe we should recognize the fact that the potential for bond markets to rally to record low yields is is compromised by the, the, the huge supply and the change in the fiscal response. If we can move on to the, the reaction of peripheral bond spread in the Eurozone, I think we had some fairly drastic moves uh, in peripheral bonds and um, there were some comments attributed or some comments that the new head of the central ECB, Christine Lagarde, made had a sort of fairly dramatic move uh, on markets as well. Christine Lagarde is new to the role of president of the European Central Bank and at her press conference two and a half weeks ago, in the aftermath of the ECB announcing some, some, some support for markets, but not as much as people would have hoped for, what she said was, it's not the role of the European Central Bank to support bond spreads in the Eurozone. And already weak peripheries came under massive pressure. And you can see that in the chart. Again, on the right-hand side, you can see how peripheral spreads pushed out towards the highs that we've seen over the last 12 months in Italy and even above the highs that we had previously seen in Spain. It became pretty clear to Christine Lagarde very quickly, and by very quickly I mean within hours, that she'd made a mistake in how she communicated. And she rode back very quickly on those comments. And I, word has it that she apologised to her colleagues on the Council of the European Central Bank. Within a week, the European Central Bank had announced its pandemic emergency purchase programme this is the 750 billion purchase program that I alluded to in an earlier slide. And what's interesting about that is that program has far looser rules to, attached to it than some of the other ECB quantitative easing programs. So what we saw when that program got announced is we saw peripheral spreads, you can see on the very right-hand side, recover back to more, more realistic levels. And in, and in the period since we've seen further improvement in peripheral spread. So what does that mean to me? Well, I think if I was to take away one key point from this slide is that Christine Lagarde, with those comments, increased the risk of a European debt crisis. But by the actions that the ECB took subsequently, she's removed the immediate risk of a European sovereign debt crisis. And I think that's critical. The idea that a country like Italy or Spain could be facing into a debt crisis when they've got the tragic consequences of the coronavirus impacting their people is just something that none of us will hope for. And I think it's important that the ECB responded as quickly as they did, and they reduced, if not removed, the risk of a sovereign debt crisis as a result of the coronavirus. Sorry, and it probably just shows as well, Niall, the speed at which they sort of reversed our backtrack shows you just, just how behind the market that the ECB are, in fact. I don't think they are anymore, Michael. To be fair, I think the ECB was slow to react post-GFC and slow to react in the European debt crisis. And it took Mario Draghi's comments, uh, do whatever it takes, 
for the ECB to get on the front foot. The ECB is back on the front foot now. The Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme, which I struggle to remember the name of, is a 750 billion programme. And I genuinely believe that if that is not sufficient, then the ECB stands ready to do more to support the Eurozone. And to do so without the conditions that they would have insisted on, the austerity conditions that they would have insisted on at the time of the European debt crisis. So austerity is a term that's not being bandied around by, by the European Central Bank, nor has it been bandied around by some of the countries that would have been pro-austerity during the European sovereign debt crisis. So I think the ECB is back on the front foot. I think we can take confidence that the risks of an explosion in peripheral spreads have been dramatically diminished, if not removed, by the scale of the, re the response that we've seen from the ECB. Okay, thanks. Um, and the next slide, we're just looking at, uh, I think we're looking at investment grade corporate bonds. They also obviously have come under pressure, particularly uh, sectors of market that would be vi virus affected or are more affected by the virus. Um, and obviously the impact of the uh, drop in the oil price as well has also put some of those companies under pressure and, and potential downgrades. So maybe just give us an idea what's happening there, Niall, please. What I thought was very useful to highlight here is the difference between the performance of US corporate credit and Euro corporate credit. So the light blue or turquoise colored line is European credit. And you can see back around 2011-12, which is the time of the European sovereign debt crisis, European credit was much weaker than US credit. What we're showing on this chart is the spread. That's the additional yield that you get for buying investment grade corporate bonds relative to sovereign bonds. So 350 basis points, as we saw back in the sovereign debt crisis, means that you were getting 3.5% more for investment-grade corporates than you were for, for government bonds. If you roll forward to the market last week, you see that the US spreads had blown out 4%, 400 basis points over government bonds, whereas Europe was only at, two, only at 242. The reason, main reason for that is twofold, I would argue. The first one is that at the time we, we, we printed this chart, the Fed hadn't announced that it was going to be buying investment-grade corporate bonds, whereas, of course, the European Central Bank has been buying investment-grade corporate bonds as part of its asset purchase program, as part of the quantitative easing program that's been in place since the sovereign debt crisis. So there is a, there's a backstop to the investment-grade market in the Eurozone that there wasn't in, Europe, in the U.S. What I would also say is that in the U.S., there's a much bigger exposure to the energy sector than there is in Europe. And the collapse of the oil price would have had a, a significant negative impact on corporate credit in the US, much more significant than here in Europe. So while we're dealing with the, the, the challenges of the coronavirus pandemic, on the one hand, we're also dealing with a price war and a collapse in the oil price, and that's having a negative impact on the US. But when we think about this from an investor's perspective, what we would say is that the credit markets are now pricing in a pretty horrific credit cycle. We accept that there will be a credit cycle, that there will be a recession as a consequence of the coronavirus. But when we look at European investment grade corporate bonds, we feel that if you look at the sort of higher quality single A and above, that that space is, is now representing good value. And we're a little bit more concerned about the, the, the lower quality triple B paper where we could see some of that downgraded. We've already seen some downgraded. So Ford last week downgraded into high yields. 
and unfortunately for some investors that requires them to sell. So when we look at the investment grade corporate bond markets, we're starting to see value, particularly in higher quality single A and above paper. And, and certainly with the fact that the Fed is now stepping in to support the US market, it does suggest that there could be value in US corporate credit as well. And the next slide then, we're just looking at actually emerging market debt. Uh, that is also obviously sold off of late uh, and the high yield market as well. And I suppose emerging market debt, um, you might just talk about the two different strategies that we have within MAPS in emerging market debt. And are we still happy to hold that exposure to, to these markets? So there's, there, are, there are three lines on this chart, and these are the returns year to date. Now, I would caveat that by saying that the data is already out of date and that you could move each of these lines upwards by about 5%. So as we saw the recovery in equity markets last week, we've seen a recovery in emerging markets and high yield markets. And so this chart is, it's impossible to keep charts up to date in a fast moving market like we have today. And instead of being 15 to 20% down, as this chart indicates, markets are only 10 to 15 percent down. Let's focus on emerging market debt in, in this in this chart. And you can see there's two versions of emerging market debt. The dark blue line is hard currency emerging market debt, and that's dollar denominated emerging market debt. The dark gray line is local currency emerging market debt, and that's debt issued by emerging market countries in their own currency. For example, Brazil issuing in Brazilian real would be in the local currency market. Brazil issuing in US dollars would be in the hard currency market. And what we can see here, I think the most important information to take away from this is that in a distressed market like we've experienced recently, correlations end up being very high. The market is indiscriminate. And so we've seen all these riskier fixed income markets fall. The strongest performing is the local currency space. And to me, that's where the greatest value exists today. Because what's happened in local currencies is not so much that bond prices have collapsed or that yields have risen. It's actually that currencies have devalued relative to the euro. They've devalued relative to most major currencies. And that provides a competitive advantage to these emerging market countries. So as the global economy recovers, these countries will have a competitive advantage because their currencies will have weakened. And so if you look at that kind of minus 10 to 15% return that we've seen, more than half of that has come from a weakening of currency. We would expect that to recover quite quickly. And so if I think about where I, I would most want to be invested in these riskier fixed income markets today, I think it's in the local currency emerging market debt space where the currencies can recover quicker. I do think that hard currency emerging market debt is, is still an attractive asset class. Yes, it's uh, experienced negative returns year to date, but with yields now up towards seven and a half, eight percent, I do think that that's an area where we can see attractive returns going forward. And I think the last slide there, we're just looking at um, what's happened in terms of inflation and inflation expectations. Um, so maybe just take us through that, Niall. Sure. This is a very busy slide, so I'm going to keep my comments at a quite a high level and focus on the charts. Focus on the three charts moving from left right because inflation markets are important for investors especially in the context of maybe defined benefit pension schemes where there's an obligation on those schemes maybe to to pay an inflation linked return the chart on the left hand side highlights the collapse in oil prices and indeed 
earlier today, oil prices dipped below $20 a barrel. The collapse in oil prices is a combination of an economic-led collapse, but also a price war that's broken out over the course of the last couple of months. And historically, we've always seen oil price collapses, moves in the oil price have a very significant impact on short dated inflation. So the middle chart highlights the change in one-year inflation expectations. So earlier in the year, one-year inflation expectations were around 1%. We've seen those collapse down towards minus 0.5, minus 0.75%. And that's, that's just a historic standard correlation that we see in investment markets. But what's really notable is if we look to the right-hand side and we look at 30-year inflation expectations, they also collapsed. And that to me seems to be, uh, I, I won't call it an error, because um, it's not an error. The price is the price. But we, we feel that that represents an, uh, a, an anomaly that's likely to correct over time. Because when we talked earlier on, we talked about the huge fiscal response that we've seen, you know, the $2.2 trillion budget that was approved in the US, the I think it's 400, you know, 400 billion euro program that the German government has approved. The, the response from all governments is a massive fiscal stimulus to offset the devastating impact on the economy of the coronavirus. Longer term, we feel that's likely to be inflationary. And so the correction that we've seen in inflation markets towards record lows in the longer term provides investors with an opportunity to get exposure to inflation-linked bonds to protect their portfolios if inflation does, as we expect, increase in the next number of years. In the very short term, we don't expect inflation to be an issue. But in the longer term, out two, three years from now, we do think that inflation is likely to rise. You know, being able to buy 30-year inflation-linked bonds where inflation expectations are only around 1%, to us looks like a compelling long-term investment for, for investors. That's great, Niall. That's a, a very comprehensive view on um, all of the fixed income markets. I suppose just to maybe finish with the last slide and the summary, you know, mostly when I think we talk about multi-asset portfolios and, and uh, people do in general, equities tend to dominate the conversation um, and provide the, you know, the lion's share of the returns over, over long periods. But I suppose the crucial role of fixed income is, 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 is never more uh, apparent and important. So maybe just kind of summarize on, on, our, on that. Diversification, they'd say, is the, is the one free lunch in investment markets. And I think that's been evident over the last month six weeks as risk prices, risk, risk assets fell and the markets start to grapple with the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Fixed income markets have proven themselves time and time again to be a great diversifier and a defensive asset. And when I'm talking about fixed income in this case, I'm talking about core fixed income markets. I'm talking about in particular government bonds and then to a lesser extent, higher quality fixed income assets like investment grade bonds, a great diversifier and a defensive asset relative to risky equity markets. I finished my presentation by making the point that inflation opportunities are arising. And indeed, Irish Life Investment Managers in our discretionary portfolios has made investments that reflect that view. So where we have discretion to do so, we have bought inflation-linked bonds rather than sovereign nominal bonds because we see that as an opportunity. We also 
believe that we are likely to see opportunities in due course in markets that have been indiscriminately beaten up by the reaction that we've seen within markets recently. And areas that we see that arising would be in corporate bonds and securitized credit, both asset classes that are currently uh, part of the building blocks for MAPS. But I, I, I conclude by saying investors need to think long-term. In the long-term, equities deliver the highest returns. In the short term, we can experience volatility like we've seen now. And MAPS as an asset, as a, as a, a diversified portfolio, recognizes the fact that equity returns trump fixed income returns in the long term. So while we are going through a period of time when risky assets underperform, investors should remember that they're in this for the long term and that they should make investment decisions that will allow them to achieve their long-term goal, whether that's a comfortable income in retirement or whatever their long-term goals are, they should continue to focus on that and not allow short-term market moves like we're seeing at the moment to influence their long-term thinking in a way that might be detrimental to those long-term goals. And I suppose just more broadly, Niall, in terms of markets, I mean, we're, we're, we're still very much in this crisis and uh, we may well be for for some time yet in terms of the volatility within markets. Absolutely, Michael. It would be a, a, a fool's game to try and predict when we hit the bottom in risky assets like equities. You know, there will be some commentators out there who might argue that we've seen the bottom already and that the fiscal response that we saw last week is the sort of the catalyst for a floor in equity markets. I've been in this business too long to suggest or to, to speculate that, that we've seen the lows. If I was to be brave enough to make one prediction, it would be that we can expect heightened volatility. Those plus 5%, plus 10%, minus 5%, minus 10% days that we've seen in equity markets, I don't think they are behind us yet. You know, We should recognize that heightened volatility will persist until we have some real hard sense of when this shutdown of the global economy or, you know, not full shutdown, but I think we know, you know what I'm talking about, until we know that this is drawing to a close and when we can start to predict a, sort of a return to relative normality, risky assets and, 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 and investment markets are likely to remain very volatile. That's great. Thanks a million, Niall. It's a really comprehensive view on uh, markets and then particularly the focus on fixed income. I think your your last point is, is really for us in terms of uh, investors within MAPS and, and advisors is the most important thing to, to remain focused on the long-term goal and don't let that drive you to making uh, short-term decisions which may be at odds with the long-term goal that you're trying to trying to achieve and the reason you invested in the first place. So just to say thank you very much again for uh, joining us today and uh, thanks very much to to Niall uh, for going through that and we look forward to talking to you on our next uh, webinar. Thanks. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Irish Life Investment Managers Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.